Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Richard Jefferson, NBA champion. You can catch him on the jump and on our NBA coverage here on ESPN. Hey, man, thanks for hanging out with us and taking the time to talk to us for a little bit. I just want to share a little bit of, of news here. Uh, for those of you who are fans of my favorite sport, uh, Naomi Osaka, the um, U.S. Open champion, has just posted on her social media account that she's not going to play in her semifinal match tomorrow, uh, joining in with the protests that have been happening in all the other sports. So even in the world of an individual sport like tennis, Naomi Osaka, who's Japanese and Haitian, said as a black woman, she feels as there are more important matters at hand that need more media attention than playing tennis. That's how powerful this moment has been, and that's what's ripping through the country right now. And, and George, I, I, I appreciate you, you having me on and, and, and sending me a text, but this is like when people, like, look at this. This, this started, you know, with the Detroit Lions canceling a practice to the Milwaukee Bucks canceling a playoff game, to the entire NBA players sitting down, and then to baseball players, the Milwaukee Brewers saying they're not playing. Now you have individual tennis players. Like, it, like the, the, the protest that we saw with the George Floyd killing, that's, that went across the country. You had people in France. You had you know, people in Italy all across this world protesting for equality not just in our country but in their country also and so you know this is a huge moment and you know and it's like when just when you think that an act or a moment can't get bigger sports are coming back and they continue to see the same type of injustices and then then they were like oh well we're going to sit down we don't have to risk our lives we don't have to separate ourselves from our family for weeks and months for your entertainment if you're still not going to respect the people that are begging for you to respect, you know, communities and individuals in the streets. Richard Jefferson joining us here on Sedano and LZ. Um, so I heard you say that you expect them to play. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks have reached out. They, they reached out directly to uh, politicians, the state attorney, um, the attorney general, um, do you be, what do you believe is satisfactory enough um, as far as a result here to get them back to playing? Because if you do believe they're going to get back to playing, what is the result that you that people need to see that they need to see the change you need to see that would make you feel good about doing that, Richard? Well, well, what I, I would say is this: it's it's so often the handling of these issues, <clears throat> and so often the handling of these issues, the cop. That, 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 did, that shot him seven times in his back. But they are not releasing the name. They're not giving any details. And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, you don't want for there to be some, like, public jury. Meanwhile, this individual was the judge, jury, and executioner. So it's like, he's going to do that, but now you're not giving out any information of who it is. You're not announcing, and again, I don't know any more information about what was in the car. So it's like you're not announcing any charges. You're not announcing you're not announcing anything. So you're you're putting people in a position to now have to um, uh, be more and more frustrated. It's like yo, we saw this on tape. It doesn't take it doesn't take three days to do an investigation. Not not when when this is at an all time high. And so again, it, it's 
getting to the point, arresting the cops that shot Breonna Taylor. These are the things that people are, these are, this is this not, that's not just a slogan that people are saying. That's something that people truly, truly want. It's not a meme. And so far, I think these guys who really want to come back and play, they want to see some action. They want to see, they want to see that, you know, the individuals that might go out there and, and incite things and make situations worse should be arrested. Those are the things that I, I think they want. And, and even when the, when the police commissioner gets on TV and says an individual went down there to protect, it's like, no, no, there is no excuses. Don't give him an explanation for what he was doing. There was an individual that came down there that was armed and a situation happened and which led to the murder of two people and the sh- shooting another one. That person has been apprehended and that person is in police custody. But when the police commissioner gets up there and starts giving excuses and starts saying, well, he, an individual across state lines came down with, with the intention to help. It's like we don't care what the explanation is. Yeah, I, And by doing that, you're putting that in a position. You're, by doing that and saying that, you're immediately like harboring some sort of like um, feeling as in like, hey, his, he had good intentions. And it's like we all know it. Good in, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh, Richard, I'm not asking you to declare any political affiliation. In fact, I don't want you to declare any political affiliation. But Doc Rivers certainly went deeper in his expression of frustration um, when he talked about what he was witnessing with the Republican National Convention and President Donald Trump's policies. Do you believe that this is something that the NBA and other sports leagues, but the NBA in particular, can can navigate without doing what Doc did, or is there no separating the two? Well, well, at the end of the day, we understand that everyone in this country, it is true, everyone's allowed to have their own opinion. I'm not a big fan of the cancel culture unless it deserves to be canceled. I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of it, but I am a fan of holding people accountable, and you know, you, you can have individuals that own own sports teams that might be republicans i I had a trainer who was a very very dear fan of mine who was a hardcore trump supporter and republican and and you can have these conversations with individuals but doc was right doc said it he goes he goes look look you watch and that's what it is they want to do this they want to do that and it happens on the democratic side also it happens on both sides and that's bad that you are trying to get people to believe in you based on fear, based on scaring people. And, and that is sad. And, and I said it on first take today. My father, who recently passed away, he was in the military. And he had a military funeral. He's getting buried at the military cemetery. And you watch the flag that's draping his coffin. And you watch these two soldiers fold it perfectly and hand it to my mother and have them say, thank you for your service. Like when doc says that, why do we love a country that doesn't love us back? Like those, those words hit hard when I can see my father being buried in a military funeral and he would support Colin Kaepernick, but the same thing was used against Colin Kaepernick saying you don't support the troops or an individual like Drew Brees can say that I was taught by my grandfathers to stand for the flag. And that's not to knock Drew Brees. It's to say that Drew has to understand that, yes, 
that is your grandfather's experience. And you should feel that way. But ultimately, you should also respect the right for other people to feel a different way. And that was lost in his message. So the, the, the Doc Rivers statement, it hit home, you know, especially hard for me because I just witnessed, you know, a, a, such a respectful military funeral and, and how much my father, who was a vet, like, you know, respected the military, but also how he respected individuals and what he stood for. Richard Jefferson with us here again, NBA champion, 17-year vet. Uh, you won that championship with LeBron James. LeBron James is always a target in these situations because of how outspoken he is. Uh, you were his teammate. You're his friend. Um, for those that may not truly understand how committed he is to these causes, uh, how would you best describe uh, how he feels about not not just necessarily the current state of affairs, but just about social justice in general and the right to vote and all these different aspects of social activism that he's taken on? Well, I, I think, you know, you just don't know what's real and what's not. Uh, and I think for, for LeBron and so many athletes and why he has, he has exceeded all of our expectations, not as a basketball player, but just as a human being. Like, there's always that stuff about him that's like, yo, this guy was on the cover at, at 16 being called the chosen one, and he has exceeded those expectations. Well, that's just, we're, that's just us talking about basketball. Think about all the things that he has done, all of the industries that he has set up, how much of an activist he is, how supportive he is of the women's game, right? It's like we talk about him, him exceeding expectations as a basketball player, right? And that's being called the chosen one. And so, you know, in, in these moments, you know, when he's out there trying to get people the right to vote, meanwhile, during a pandemic, during a pandemic, they are trying to take away mail services. And, and, and it just becomes this, this cluster of who's right and what to do. And, you know, it just seems, you know, that right now we need those types of leaders. But more importantly, what we need is we need individuals to get out if you're upset about this then you've got to get out and vote. You have, to, you have to pay more attention to these things. And I think that's what's really going on. For so much, people would be like, I don't discuss politics. I don't really pay attention to politics. I know this person might give me a tax break or this thing. But now, there's so much more at stake. Everyone has to pay attention to politics, not just from a financial standpoint, but also from an education standpoint, from a diversity standpoint, from a legislation standpoint. So, like, you have to pay attention to this because these issues are becoming more and more and more intense. And if you're not informed, you are also not contributing to the possible solution to make things better. Um, Richard, I am currently in Scottsdale. I know that you played um, basketball in Arizona the city has just authorized about four or five payouts, um, you know, tied to police uh, infractions. Um, if what would you like to see happen in terms of criminal justice reform first? If you had a silver bullet that can make the change right away. Man, that's the thing. It, you know, there's so many, you know, you know, there's so many things, you know, there are individuals that are still in jail for weed that is now legal in so many states. 
Like that right there is a level of hypocrisy and absurd. And while they did break, you know, break a crime, I, while it was a crime, now that it is legal, you know, those are things right there. Let's, um, you know, but also I, I would say, you know, I, I think I think just r- police training. I, I really do. I, I I really and truly believe that that we need to retrain and 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 our police officers they're asked to do so much even here where i live in hermosa beach they're fighting to save the police because they they don't have enough funds and they can make more working in other places and then they just get too stressed out so it's almost like the la county sheriff's department will come down here and start policing hermosa beach just because it's just they haven't figured out a way to maintain a, a consistent police force. And it's because anytime you see a homeless person, you call the police. Anytime there's a cat stuck in a tree, you call the police. Anytime there's somebody, there's a domestic violence, you call the police. Like, they're asked to do so many things that people might not necessarily have the training to do. And you combine that with them being emotional human beings, just like the rest of it, rest of us. And I just really think that, you know, I, I think police reform is, is true. I don't I don't think that we need to, you know, get rid of the police that no, I don't I don't think that that's the case. I, I think, you know, the police definitely serve a purpose, but I think that there are some things that um are in place, whether it's mentally or emotionally or, or, or systematically that are allowing individuals to do things and get away with it. And that's just, and, and, you know, we're all old enough to remember the Rodney King beating. That was the first time that it was ever caught on camera. And the police officers all got off. Like, like this has been going on, like, pretty much my entire life that I've been able to see. And, and you know, the last thing that, that Doc says is, like, how many, how many white individuals have to have a conversation with their parents? Um, are with their kids about how to be careful around police to not get shot if you get pulled over. And anybody that thinks that we're being dramatic, you don't know enough black people. You don't know enough black people if you think we're being dramatic because there is not one black family, there's not one black father or mother that hasn't had that conversation the minute their kids are able to drive or leave the home at 13, 14, 15, uh, leave the home and not have that conversation with them. That conversation is had. And that's, that just, again, shows the state, you know, uh, 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 of where we are right now. Yeah, Richard. We, we just had the conversation with my 23-year-old son again at the dinner table last night, to your mm-hmm. point, Richard. Again. And it's like, I look, and I have two boys that are three and five. And, you know, again, people talk about Tamir Rice was playing with a toy pellet gun in a park and was shot and killed. Meanwhile, this individual is 17, you know, walking through police barricades during a protest. And at no point in time do they disarm him. Do they, at no point in time do they see if he has a license for that weapon. At no point in time do they see if he has any identification on him. There is nothing. There is nothing there to that, that. And I'm not talking about harassment. I'm talking about, wait a second, there's a man walking around here with a rifle but he's viewed as an ally and a 15 year old kid playing with a pellet gun in the park is viewed as an enemy. That's just the reality and the truth of it. There is no, there's no black and white. There's no, this that's viewed as an enemy. 
this guy in the middle of this chaos at 17 years old walking around with an AR-15 that just murdered multiple people is viewed as an ally. And that's something that needs to be changed. Richard Jefferson, NBA champion, of course, analyst here at ESPN and uh, friend of the program. Uh, he joins us here on Sedano and LZ on 710 ESPN. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the time as always. Hey, I appreciate you guys, man. Keep doing the good work. And if you guys ever want me on, just let me know. Will do, man. Yes, Take sir. Care. Thank All you. Right. There he is, Richard Jefferson. Uh, LZ, Ramona Shelburne has some breaking news, and we will talk to her in two minutes and 30 seconds about that breaking news. We're back in a moment. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Ramona Shelburne, ESPN NBA insider. We know her as Mama Momo. has got some news. She's been busting out breaking news here. We brought her on, and thank you, Momo, for hanging out. Um, so you have a story. This all started with the Milwaukee Bucks at 1 o'clock today, being the initial team to boycott. What do we know about the Milwaukee Bucks, who were in their locker room for several mm -hmm. hours and yeah. in communication with government officials in Wisconsin? What do we know about those conversations? So I just talked to the lieutenant governor of Wisconsin. He's a, he's a gentleman by the name of Mandela Barnes. And, uh, you know, our first, our first line was kind of funny. He goes, yeah, I think they were trying to get the governor on the phone, but, you know, I was second choice. <laughs> it was a little urgent. I was available, <laughs> right? Um, and... It was it was so sudden, guys. Like this was twenty minutes before the game. I don't think anyone knew this was happening. I think the Orlando Magic went onto the court. They were expecting the Bucks to come out, and they they just kept talking in their locker room. And so the Lazary family, Mark Lazary, Alex Lazary, who owned the Bucks, have incredible political connections in in the state of Wisconsin and really all over the country. Um, uh, they were, you know, some of the people who hosted the Democratic National Convention, the, the virtual convention that just happened last week. Um, and they essentially communicated with the team and said, OK, look, if you, you know, who do you guys want to talk to? And they said, we want to talk to anybody. We want to talk to the state officials. We want to like we want to make a change. And so a call was scheduled with the Wisconsin attorney general and lieutenant governor who, you know, his, his joke, I think they were trying to get the governor, but they but uh, he, the lieutenant governor was available. And the, the players essentially said to him, what can we do? Like the walkout that we're doing right now, the strike and what we should call it a strike, by the way. It's not a boycott. It's a strike. OK, um, this is step one. They want to know what they can do with this platform, with this action that they're taking now to affect some real change. And Mandela Barnes, lieutenant governor, said to them, look, you need to try to affect change at all levels of government. And one thing very specifically he pointed them to was a police reform bill that has been introduced as uh, it's legislation that includes police reform bills that was introduced all the way back on June 20th that the Wisconsin governor, Tony Evers, has been trying to get the state legislature to vote on for two months. And he called, he recently this week called a special session of the state legislature, which is a Republican controlled state legislature, um, 
just trying to get them to vote on that police reform bill be, that in, in light of the Jacob Blake shooting. And this has been a Wisconsin state issue. This has been covered in the papers in Wisconsin. But the, you know, what, what the lieutenant governor told the Bucks players was, this is what you can do. You can use your platform to shine a light on what's going on in Wisconsin and really what's not going on in Wisconsin. One of the players, um, specifically I heard Kyle Korver asked Mandela Barnes, um, what actually has been done in the last two months? What, what has happened in our state in the last two months? Have you guys done anything? Um, and you know, he, the, the lieutenant governor said, you know, there's been things at the municipal level, the, one of the biggest things if they, they've tried to get um, so over-policing in schools uh, rectified, but the, the real police reform bill is been, has been sitting on the desk of the state legislature in Wisconsin for two months. And if you, if you go back to George Hill's statement, that, is, that was in his statement. It's just they, they need to, and they keep saying, we need to educate ourselves on things that we can do and push for, both in the short and the long term. And I think that's what they're doing right now. Um, you, you, you talked about the conversations with state legislators and the lieutenant governor, but mm -hmm. that's dealing with one specific state right now. Right. But it's my, it's my sense that the league wants something broader. Do you have yes. any idea or any information about what are the broader steps they want to take? Yeah, you know, Michelle Roberts, the head of the Players Union, um, recently gave an interview where she talked about that. That, that was one of the um, things that, um, that, was, that, that the Players Union was trying to push all around the country is just more police accountability measures and, and that type of legislation all over the country. Uh, that, that's something they're pushing for. But, you know, what's going on right now, um, and it's amazing that this is all happening in real time. Guys, I don't, I don't know if, I, I know what it's like to watch this all unfold. I, it's, it's hard for me to describe what it's like reporting on this because, like, you talk to somebody and you're chasing something down and, like, three seconds later it's completely obsolete because stuff is really happening in real time. It's like they're taught, like, I was on the, you know, I was texting with some WNBA players. I'm like, are you guys going to play? And they were like, I don't see how we can, but we're on the bus to the game right now. I guess we're going to talk about it and figure it out, you know? So what's happening right now, LZ, is the players who are in the bubble are in a room talking. They're figuring out what they want to do next. And usually when you protest, um, there's a set of goals and there's, a, there's some actionables that you say we want to have happen. And, you know, once we see that things are moving in that direction, that, that we're being heard, that action is being taken, um, you know, we can either stop protesting or we can, you know, we can do something else, you know, that, that we feel like we've been heard and listened to and that action has been taken. Um, so I think it, in this case, this seems to be happening almost in reverse, like they protested and then they went and asked the state officials, hey, what should we be asking for? Like, we're really mad. How has this happened? What can we do? Give us something we should try to shine a light on. Give us, give, us, give us things that we can work on as NBA players with our big platform that we have. Um, and I think that's what they're talking about right now. Like, do, you know, is it better to continue playing games where you have a microphone in front of you every day? Or is it better to go home and work on these things? Is it, do we just need a, a, a pause? Do we need, um, do we need to go home? Do we need to, you know, that's, that, that's the conversation that's ongoing right now. And, I'll tell you what, like, I mean, I've had texts from players who are not in the bubble whose teams have either been eliminated already or they never went. And they're like, 
is this just for the players in the bubble? Cause I want to get in on this too. <laughs> right? Like, like this is all happening in real time and it's, it's just really staggering to watch. I've never seen anything like it. Ramona Shelburne joining us here on Sedano and LZ. Uh, Ramona, obviously one of the conversations is going to be about um, the eventual mm -hmm. resumption of play. What needs to happen um, for that to happen? Like, what are the players want done in the immediacy of this to allow that to happen? Um, to continue on, you know, I think that's uh, I think that's what they gotta. They're they're trying to figure out like. This was just, this wasn't a coordinated action today. This, you know, they are trying to come up with a plan right now. This is what Chris Paul, Andre Iguodala, I've heard that Doc Rivers is, is, has spoken to the, or is, was planning to, or, or already has. Um, but the players are trying to come up with a plan of action so that these are demands that can be met. These are things that they want to have action taken on. They're coming up with that plan right now. Um, does that, can that happen in one day? I don't know. Can that happen in two days? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I feel like tomorrow's games are in doubt. Um, I, I don't know how you can settle anything in one night. Uh, I don't know if we're taking a two-day pause. I don't know if we are just ending the season. Um, but I know, you know, they're, they're literally talking about this right now. Like, what... What can we ask for? What can we do? What should we be doing? And um, it's kind of like a civics lesson. <laughs> you know, if you listen to what George Hill said in his statement, we need to keep educating ourselves on things that we can do. We can't just keep saying this is wrong. We need to ask for specific things. What, what is Michelle Roberts' role in mm -hmm. all of this? Well, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, she's coordinating with them, but like, What's what's interesting, LZ, is that uh, this is all this what this started with the Raptors and the Celtics last night. That discussion that 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 really you know kind of escalated last night. Then it continued in the Bucks locker room this morning, and you know every player was talking about it, you know, on text chains or in in meetings and stuff like that. But it, the the decision to to strike today, the decision not to play that game, Milwaukee and Orlando, that came from the Milwaukee Bucks locker room. That was not coordinated with Michelle Roberts. That was not coordinated with Adam Silver. That was not coordinated with Chris Paul. They didn't vote. They didn't collectively bargain it. They just did it. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, usually in the NBA, things are collectively bargained. You have your union leadership work on something and you do it. Like when you, when you have a teacher's union and when they strike, it's, their, it's the union is striking. They all talked about it. It's not like three teachers decide to walk out. But that's kind of what happened in the NBA today. Ramona Shelburne, ESPN NBA insider, Mama Momo with us here. You are the best. Thanks for hanging out with us. I, I hope I cleared some of that up or confused you even more. No, you cleared it up. You cleared <laughs> okay. it up. We're good. We're good. Thanks, We're Momo. Good. We're Thanks, good. guys. Thank you. All right, see ya. Uh, LZ, we've got some uh, breaking news. Uh, Mookie Betts has spoken. Uh, Dave Roberts has spoken. Kenley Jansen and Clayton Kershaw are actually all speaking at the moment. Uh, we'll have some of their commentary as to why the Dodgers game was canceled today. Um, I'm assuming we, you know, we all know what the uh, impetus was, but uh, their reasoning behind it and their thoughts on the day's events. We'll have some of that in just a few moments. Stick around. We're back in less than two minutes.
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Thanks to Ramona Shelburne for joining us there. Dave Roberts, Clayton Kershaw, Kenley Jansen are all speaking, uh, and Mookie Betts are all speaking at the moment. Here are some of the things that were just said. Uh, Mookie Betts said, no matter what, I wasn't going to play tonight. Um, here's some more stuff from uh, Clayton Kershaw. He said, what is something tangible we can do? Once Mookie said he was not going to play, that started the conversation, and we made a collective group decision to not play tonight, to let our voices be heard, to stand up for what we believe is right. Um, Clayton said the decision not to play tonight was a collective one among the Dodgers team. And uh, again, LZ, not really a surprise here, just based on who we're talking about here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, earlier in the summer, I did an interview with uh, Clayton Kershaw shortly before he posted his statement on his social media account. And we talked about what led to his transformation because I'm, as many listeners know, and you know, George, Clayton Kershaw is not necessarily one who, who likes to wade in these particular waters. You know, he's been very active in terms of philanthropy, and he certainly has um, things that he cares about and that he pours his resources into, but he typically stays away from the microphone. He typically doesn't, you know, talk too much about these issues. And so when he posted what he did on social media and he and I had a chance to talk, I was like, what changed, right? Like, how did you go from not talking about anything at all like this to going full head steam head on racial issues? And he simply says something that just made all the sense in the world, which is we can't be silent anymore. White people can't be silent anymore. And for someone who grew up uh, in Texas and has always been sort of quiet on these controversial issues, for him to be that bold, I knew there was a different temperature in that clubhouse. I knew the Dodgers organization was different because the man that has been the face, the brilliant face for so long, has stepped out in an incredibly bold fashion and said, as a white person, I can't sit back and be silent on these issues anymore. And I know from discussions with other players as well as leaders in the, in the organization that conversations in terms of racial reconciliation, history, um, Jackie Robinson, post Jackie Robinson, um, I've written a lot. I've spoken a lot to the Dodgers. I'm not surprised at all, George, by this because I witnessed firsthand how the George Floyd video has literally transformed what is acceptable communication in the clubhouse and the subject matters that the organization as a whole is willing to approach. 
yeah, man. It's um, you know, and there's some very powerful conversations going on right now um, across the world of sports. Whether it's Robert Ori on Spectrum Sports a little while ago, um, whether it's the Dodgers speaking right now, and look, there are a lot, a lot of people just taking a very, you know, talking about this and discussing it as humans, right? And I think that's the thing. Um, you know, look, and the DOJ, just for transparency's sake, is reporting that he had a knife in his car. Um, and the way that I would, and that he had uh, warrants, and that he had this and that. And what I would say to that is this, LZ, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. What I would simply say to that is having a warrant resisting arrest should not be a death sentence. Um, having a knife in your car shouldn't be a death sentence. Um, if you watch that video, and I have seen it from every angle now, including the angle um, from across the street, which you can see when he opens the door and comes around the car, um, they could have easily just apprehended him one more time instead of grabbing him by the shoulder and the shirt with one hand and shooting him with the other. And, and if you can't really just see that, and if you want to outline all the other stuff and not understand that those things shouldn't be death sentences, then, you know, there's not much I can do for you, right? Like, that, we're just going to have that. Clearly, we're going to see things differently uh, if, you, if someone can't see it as plainly as I can see it. Well, again, this goes back to something that I wrote on CNN.com not too long ago, which is about when an incident like this happens, what you tend to find out first is anything is going on with the victim. We don't know anything about this officer as of yet. We don't know if this person has any prior um, issues in terms of not race, but just in terms of protocol. We don't know if this is someone who's been suspended. We don't know anything about them, but we know everything about this man who's been shot seven times in the back. In fact, the Wisconsin attorney general said that he couldn't even clarify if the officer who did the shooting even knew there was a knife in the vehicle. In other words, this is, you know, a retroactive sort of response to a very ugly situation. In addition to the fact that anyone who watches the video and is being honest with themselves, they aren't thinking, oh, well, he probably has a knife in the car. They're probably thinking, what is that officer doing? which is why that officer is on administrative leave. Paid, but still administrative leave because there needs to be a proper investigation because something about this situation didn't set right with the authorities, with the, with the power to decide whether or not to place that individual whose name we still do not know, whose record we do not know, has been placed on leave. Now, why am I bringing up the officer's record? Well, I don't know because the man that shot Tamir Rice was fired from his previous post. He resigned technically, but he was getting ready to be fired from his previous position as an officer because that department said he wasn't mature enough and qualified to be a police officer. And another department quickly hired him and he guns down a little boy in the swing with a toy gun. Or if you think about Michael Brown, a case that I covered very extensively, went to the funerals, spoke to the parents, walked those streets, was tear gassed. In that situation, the officer in question, Officer Darren Wilson, left a department 
that had been disbanded because it was too racist. Not making this up, George. Not making this up. His previous department was disbanded because an investigation found there was too much racism in it. So they disbanded the whole thing. He was quickly hired by, a, by the Ferguson Police Department and then he guns down Michael Brown. So we don't know what's going on with the officer in question of the, of the shooting involving Jacob Blake. Maybe there's nothing, maybe there's something we don't know, but we keep hearing all these leaks coming from the victim in this situation, which is par for the course for these sort of stories. And I know this intimately because I've been covering these stories extensively for years. So it doesn't surprise me at all, George, that we have this information from the Department of Justice about the victim who is paralyzed. It doesn't because this is what they do. They take the victim and before the body is cold, they start putting him or her on trial. It's a playbook, basically, yes. It and, is a yeah. playbook. Well, and the whole part of it is that, you know, due process should be a part of this, right? Like you can have an arrest warrant, you can have charges that does not make you guilty in this country, or at least it's not supposed to. <laughs> um, you know, you are supposed to be judged by a jury of your peers in this particular case. So to your point. Well, well, well you certainly aren't supposed to be um, given the death sentence before you even had a chance to even have a trial, which is what has been happening. Correct. Correct. Um, well, look, man, uh, I thought Dave Roberts put this succinctly uh, today when he said that, again, this isn't a political issue. This is about, you know, just being humane and being yes. human. You know, it's it's really that simple, right? And and it was it was that simple during George Floyd, and it doesn't change now. Um, you know, and, and but we are so this is what makes me so sad, right, is that people are so they're so looking to defend their corner. You know what I mean? Whatever that corner is, right, that they will use. And, and by the way, both political parties are guilty of this. OK, they are so willing to defend their corners that they will take any ounce of information and try to twist themselves into a pretzel to make it fit whatever narrative they want to fit. And, you know, not to get too political on here, but it's why I believe the two-system party is not ideal, right? Like, I, I just believe we should have, you know, if in England they can have five parties, why can't we have five parties? You know what I mean? Like, I think that uh, there are a lot of countries that have multiple parties, and I think that it would allow for more nuance, um, I think, and... You know, maybe I'm wrong, LZ. This is your scope uh, more than it is mine. But I just think that common sense would say there would be less friction because if you have five different ideologies or four or whatever, um, it, it becomes easier to have people fit within a particular construct and find ways to uh, potentially make um, amends with each other on certain things. Well, I mean, what you're saying isn't breaking news. What you're saying is exactly what the Founding Fathers said. The Founding Fathers warned us against a two-party system. They said a two-party system would do exactly what it's doing to the nation right now, which is choosing us to choose sides in order to get a victory, as opposed to choosing a person or an official, or an elected official rather, that makes the most sense for what your constituents need. Right. 
And we've fallen away from that. Um, and we're talking from George Washington on. We've fallen away from that and we are where we are, but none of that really matters because this isn't a political issue. It doesn't matter. We don't know what the political affiliations are of any of the people involved in the shooting in Kenosha. We can certainly, we can make some assumptions, but we don't really know. Right. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. People are dead. A father is paralyzed. An officer is on paid leave. And we're on a hamster wheel. And the NBA, yeah. the WNBA, and baseball, and tennis, and football have all decided over the last 24 to 36 hours to put a pause on this and say enough is enough. We need to do something and we need to do something now. And I couldn't be more proud to be part of the sports community as a journalist as this is happening. Yeah, I, I certainly echo those sentiments and particularly the NBA family, um, which I'm a part of. And, you know, it, it becomes... Um, look, they've become leaders in some ways. And yeah, maybe you don't believe in what they believe in, but you can at least give them this, even if you don't agree with some of the messages. You have to at least give them credit for standing up for what they believe in, which is really what we're supposed to all do around here. Um, I just wish we would do it in a more civil way and not be so vitriolic about it and uh, you know, get into our corners and not allow for the exchange of ideas or even the acceptance that some people are never going to believe what you believe. And I think that, unfortunately, that's where we are. Um, you and I will exchange ideas with Scott Kaplan as he is going to be on the air through the evening tonight, and he's going to join us in about two minutes. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Sedano and LZ and Scott Kaplan. Cap, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, always look forward to talking to you. And uh, now we get to talk today about some real stuff. We've talked a lot about silliness and nonsense and sports. But today was very, very real, right? So... What's amazing to me, George and LZ, is I've been sitting here listening to you guys for the last two hours, like nonstop. And um, just to, to, to hear you two guys and your most natural reactions. And LZ, you know so many things that I don't know. So when I listen to you and you name drop people who I, I feel like now I have to research, like I need to learn more about this story because LZ just mentioned it and I don't know it. And to hear you guys with your most natural, raw, real reactions in real time was, was just great radio, and I enjoyed listening to it. But it is, it is interesting that we probably didn't expect to be here today. We expected to be, at this stage of the game, you know, getting ready for the Lakers to tip off. Yeah. You, you know that phrase, uh, Cap, and I, and I really appreciate your, your compliments for, for George and I. Um, that phrase, ball is life. Mm-hmm. Um, I really live that. Like basketball is such an important sport to me, just as a pickup player, just as the culture of basketball, 
as someone who's, you know, cover the league, you know, manicure the coverage of the league, I really care about this sport a great deal. But I'm also equally passionate about our potential as a nation. And so the, the realness, as you phrased it, that you hear, is really coming from a sincere place. I love the hell out of ball, but I also think that we as a nation can be so much better if we just treat each other right, if we just loved and listened, had compassion and empathy for one another. I can't tell you how many people, Scott, hit me up, were shocked that my best friend was gay and white. I was like, why would that shock you? Do you not listen to the show? I don't care about your rapping. I care about what's on the inside. And so when I'm talking about these issues, it's because I'm fighting for my son. I'm fighting for Jamal Murray, who is the same age as my son. I'm fighting for, I'm fighting for Zion Williamson and his future kids. I'm fighting for grandkids I don't even have yet. This ain't about me. This is about making sure that when I'm long and gone, that the talk that all these black parents and parents of color have to have, that those talks can go away. That's what you hear, brother. I'm just trying to fight for the future. Well, I hear it. I do, and I feel it. You know, at one point you said the cops should not play judge and jury. You even said some of these people, meaning some of the people who may have been killed by police officers, this is the way I heard it. You said some of these people, they may be guilty. We don't know yet. You said, but the cops should not be the judge and jury there. There should be a judge. There should be a jury. Someone should listen to the facts of the case. Decisions don't or shouldn't be made in those split seconds. So when you said that, it really resonated with me. I was like, now that's, that's really interesting to me because what it says is there's a possibility that this person may not be an angel. Okay, maybe not. But does that mean he gets shot and killed right there? And in this case, not shot and killed, but shot and paralyzed in front of his three children. It's um, it's it's hard to watch the videos. You know, I've seen that you, you've probably seen the videos now from both sides. There's the one side where the police officer seems to be struggling uh, to try and make the arrest. And then, you know, uh, he gets up the gentleman to walk around to his car. And that's when they shoot him. Um, and it's just disturbing to watch it from all angles. It really is. Yeah, that is probably the best way to describe it. Just disturbing. Right. On a very human level, when you watch that, um, he could have been apprehended um, when he was coming around the car, and instead they grabbed him by the shoulder and the shirt and decided to shoot him instead. Um, and and look, it, it's it's it, this isn't over, right? Like you know, I don't want to be naive here, um, and no one in this audience should be treated that way. We should treat this like as we are adults, and I'm sure that most of the people listening are adults, and understand that this won't be the last time that this probably happens, unfortunately. You know what I'm saying? And I think that it's why that we need to take each and every instance like this and make it as important as possible and utilize the platform and the opportunity to have these discussions, whether it's athletes utilizing and wielding their power like they're doing right now, apparently still in the bubble, having conversations um, with their group. And my understanding is just so we know, guys, just to update you both, uh, the players originally had the coaches in there. And Doc Rivers was one of the coaches who spoke. As we all know, yesterday he had that impassioned plea on national television and got very emotional. But the players have now kicked the coaches out. And they are still discussing, and they have been in there for over two hours, discussing what their course of action is. And I think to me, 
that part of it is encouraging that this league is really a league of guys and men and young men who understand their place not only in just sports and what it means but in in society and i think that that's important and it really is if you think about it and we're old enough to at least whether we may have lived through it or not but remember it and understand its significance we remember the ages of muhammad ali and uh, Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sitting there at a press conference talking about the civil rights, right? Like either if we didn't live through it, we've, we certainly ha- have seen the stories, seen the footage, listened to them in that footage. And I feel like we're in a 21st century version of that right now. The, the film that you just referenced, George, there's a documentary, and I think it's called Jim Brown All-American. And mm-hmm. the, the film was so incredible because you find out, especially if Jim Brown was before your time, which he was before mine and ours, um, what you find out about Jim Brown was he, they, he was referred to as, and I'm putting this in quotes, a revolutionary. He was someone that could impact change using his influence. And um, what was so amazing about that period of time was Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all of the most visible and recognizable and influential African-American athletes of the period all came together because they were invited by Jim Brown. And as I recall the story, they all came to Cleveland. You'll have to fact check me on this. Yep, it's called the summit. Right, and so at the summit, at the summit, all of these gentlemen were gonna hear out Muhammad Ali. They were going to play judge and jury, LZ, to your, to your phrase. They were going to listen to Muhammad Ali and then they were gonna decide Do we support Muhammad Ali, who says he's not going to go fight for the United States in Vietnam, or do we not support Muhammad Ali? And they came out of the summit and they said, hey, we've listened, we've heard, we support, we've got his back. And and that was a a defining moment, if you will, uh, for that group of individuals and in particular for Muhammad Ali. There's another defining moment for young, I'm going to say predominantly African-American young men to decide what they want to be. Do we want to be the guys who are just ball players? Do we want to just, quote, shut up and dribble? Or do we want to impact change in the world? And I know that it's become a very popular thing. I've been listening to commentators all day, and I've been watching ESPN for hours. You know, I applaud these guys, and people say I applaud them, and and I think many people do. It takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of courage to actually stand up to try and impact change. You know, it, it, the leverage is with the players right now. If you uh, want to impact change and you think that your owners, the rich white guys who have all the political power, if you think that you need to get them to, to start really getting serious about it, you've got the leverage. We just won't play. And I, I actually really wonder, fellas, and I don't know what you guys think, but you know, there's a part of me, you guys are talking about what's happening right now, how these they're, they're all meeting and talking. I, I think there's probably a really strong case to be made in that room that, hey, let's all get out of here. Let's all go home. I think. Well, that, well Scott, there, there is that discussion going on, and Chris Mannix just reported that among the people that, that spoke passionately, uh, Doc Rivers, Armand Hill, John Lucas, uh, who is there, uh, who's an assistant coach for the Rockets, Kyle Korver, Damian Lillard, Carmelo Anthony, and LeBron specifically as voices. And there is, there is a sense, at least initially, from guys like Chris Haynes and even Woj, although that 
has changed. They, they're not 100% certain that there is a feeling that they could still utilize the platform, um, get the change they seek, and finish the season out, that all those things could be done. I would certainly hope that that will be the decision that they come to, that you can multitask in this space. Um, you don't have to sacrifice one versus the other. Though, as I said yesterday, and I'll repeat it again, I'm going to side with the players in this conversation. So wherever they decide to go, you know, I'm going to support. But I just think it's amazing that on the four-year anniversary of Colin Kaepernick beginning his protest, here we are today. But I also want to make sure that we give shout-out and proper credit to the WNBA, who are really ahead of the NBA in this space. They wore the T-shirts first. We know what the players who decided to not participate in their seasons to fight for criminal justice reform, like Maya Moore, um, in addition to the fact that Black women specifically, of which the WNBA is mostly made of, have long been considered the backbone of the Democratic Party and of the civil rights movement. And they oftentimes get pushed aside in their contributions for the men. And I think it's important that we recognize the WNBA and what they've been doing with the influence that they have, as well as giving shout outs to Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, who have used their platforms in sports to talk about what it means to be a black woman in predominantly white sport. All of these contributions to the overall conversations are important. And I want to make sure that, you know, as we go forward in our coverage of this, we don't become enamored with superstar names and household names because it's not always the household names that moves the needle in terms of actual action. More often than not, it's grassroots leaders or people we've never heard of who have sacrificed so much just to get people to this particular place. In the words of John Lewis, just to make some good trouble. I'm pro good trouble, and I'm really glad to see these players are making good trouble as well. Hey, LZ, you'll like it tonight. Coming up at 7.30, I've got James Blake who's going to join me. James Blake was at one time one of the top tennis players on tour, elevated to number four in the world. But as you'll probably recall, in 2015, at this stage of his life, he was already a tennis announcer. He works for ESPN now. He was standing in front of a hotel in New York City, minding his own business, talking while well, he was texting on his cell phone, and he got attacked, taken to the ground, uh, only to be you know, taken into a room, and the cops who took him found out they had the wrong guy. Well, James really wasn't sure what to do about it. They kind of... You know, put his shirt back together and said, hey, see you later, wrong guy. They, notice I didn't say sorry. They didn't apologize. They just said, oh, wrong guy, got to go. And James was like, well, this will never, you know, this will never see the light of day until surveillance video showed up. Yep. And then you got to see what happened to James. And then he wound up suing the NYPD and so on. And he's, he's an ESPN tennis commentator, but he's also an African-American man who grew up in a predominantly white sport. And when that happened to him in New York City, you know what all of his white tennis colleagues said to him? They were like, damn, dude, like that happens to you? Yeah. And he, he, he's like, yeah, because guess what, fellas? I'm, I'm actually black, you see? Like to you guys, <laughs> to you guys, I'm, I'm just one of the guys because we're JV. all just tennis players. Right, <laughs> right. But, right. but to, to some cops in this particular instance, they saw me as a black man. And, you know, he, he's going to have a lot to say this evening, I'm, I'm quite sure. So James Blake will be with us at 730 and then, you know, our colleague here at, at 710, Michael Thompson, will be here. And, I, you know, I, again, I planned on listening to the game tonight. Now I'm going to talk to Michael and just get his opinions as all of this is happening. So we've got a really great show coming up tonight, one that we didn't expect to be on the air, but on a night where, 
you know, this is one of the most historic nights in American sports. So I'm glad we're here, and I look forward to hearing from what the people have to say tonight. Well, we look hey, forward Kaplan, to the be show. Sure, hey, Kaplan, be sure uh, your conversation with JB, and we happen to be friends, and I was in New York when, he, when that happened to him, covering the U.S. Open. Be sure to ask him about his conversations with the police officers who oftentimes volunteer to transport players to and fro uh, the facilities. I've had numerous conversations with police officers in the years of covering the U.S. Open. I'd be interested to see what JB has had to say with his conversation with the police officers as well. These are cops that are transporting players? Players, yeah. Players, cops volunteer. Either they're retired or they use their off time to transport uh, talent as well as players sometimes um, from their hotels in Manhattan out to the Billie Jean King Center to play in this tournament. Okay, I'm writing it down right now, as you can probably hear me typing away. There it is. Scott Kaplan, you're coming up next, brother. Have a great show. We're looking forward to it, man. Be safe, be healthy, and we will talk to you soon. Right back at both of you gentlemen. I look forward to talking to you guys tomorrow. All right, man. Thank you, sir. All right, LZ, uh, a great show today. And uh, look, there was no need for a rundown today. It was just you and me going off the chest, right, and just doing it. And thanks to Keyshawn, Mark Spears, Richard Jefferson, Ramona, and, of course, Scotty Cap. Thanks to Greg and Laura for their work as always. LZ, excellent job as always. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yes, sir. Have All a good right. night, guys. Thank you. Good night to you guys listening. Scott Kaplan is up next. We love you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We will talk to you tomorrow for Purgatory at 3.55. See ya.